This is the Authentic Entrepreneurs Podcast with your host, Nick Foley and Stu Saunders. Here we go. This is what I got to say. Welcome to the Authentic Entrepreneur. Uh, today's uh, song is uh, Shut Up and Dance. I dare a person not to shut up and dance when they hear this song. I yeah. mean, I want to dance right now and... So I don't ever, I don't know what's coming on either. And if you follow us along, I, we often do play. I often play a song at the beginning of the podcast, and, and I often love it. He often does not love it, yeah. um, but it's, it's my get up. Uh, it's my morning playlist. It's called my hustle playlist. And, so, and shut up, man, get up and get going. And for those of you that are watching on YouTube, it actually does say my hustle list. Yeah. So it's uh, it's <laughs> it's such a I'm such a cool guy. <laughs> yeah, I, know, are, I appreciate man. it. It's actually called stupendous mornings. My hustle list. My hustle list. Um, so I, yeah, so it, I, I think it's I think good music in the morning is a, is a good thing. It's my it's my tactic. It works for me, um, and I have all sorts of crazy songs on there. I just the songs that just get me kind of top of my foot and my energy, and my blood going. Um, so you're probably wondering. Uh, here we are on. Uh, oh, by the way, I'm Stu Saunders, and I am Nick Foley. This is the Authentic Entrepreneur. Welcome to episode number 19, I believe. Um, today is an interview episode. And we found out that uh, people love our interviewed episodes. They, that those are our most watched ones, or mm-hmm. our interview. Although I think our, our New Year's one was actually pretty well watched too. I think um, that, yeah, but we bring in unbelievable guests like we were going to have today. Yeah, and so people want to see you know experts yeah. in the industry, and I think uh, if we can be that avenue to that, then right, good. And, and you're probably wondering why if you're watching on YouTube, and if you're not, I'll tell you why I'm wearing a Calgary Flames official jersey, uh, and the reason why I'm wearing it is because, well, it's three reasons. One, Calgary Flames, my favorite hockey team. Uh, my player in this jersey is Lanny McDonald, my favorite hockey player. Followed him from the Leafs to Colorado to um, the old Colorado Rockies, by the way, the old, not the Colorado Avalanche, um, and then to, um, to the Calgary Flames. So um, the reason why I'm wearing this is a quick story, and it ties into our first guest, our only guest today, Tamsin Webster. Uh, here she is right here. Tamsin is, if you're watching, there's a picture of her on the screen. If you're not watching, there's a picture of her on our screen. Um, Tamsin, uh, she, her company, the organization she, she has, the Red Thread, is all about finding your path to whatever it is you want to do. I'm wearing this, this jersey because uh, I met an amazing uh, woman from uh, Australia, Kelly Michaels, and she was building a program out in Australia for youth leadership development, which was kind of a, it's not really, it wasn't really a thing they do there unless you're a, kind of a privileged, they wanted a program for all kids, not just those in privileged private schools, which is what they kind of get speakers for and, and programs for. So she reached out to people that she knew. She went to, the, to met Tony Robbins. She went to Princeton and met some people and she, and she, and she wanted to meet me. So she connected with me. I thought it was all fake initially because she, she, she wanted to fly from Australia to Canada to have lunch with me. Really? Yeah. So I thought it was fake, and there's a whole story behind that I'll tell one day about the ridiculousness of that, that whole incident. But we, sure enough, she flew all the way from Australia, went out for lunch for a couple hours, and she knew I liked um, the Calgary Flames. And so she actually, to thank me, got me this Calgary Flames jersey, which is, I don't know if you can see this, I'm gonna spin around here, uh, which is actually, I don't know if Mikey, if you can focus in, can you focus in on that? Is he focusing in? He, is, he looks like this he's is, focusing. Uh, signed by... Oh, oh, geez. Oh, geez. If you, saw, if you were online, that was great. <laughs> if you watched that, I just hit the table. Um, but it's actually signed by, by Lanny McDonald. How cool is that? Yeah, that man's mustache was made of steel. Made of steel. And the reason why I, I brought... Because I, this... Kelly was on a mission. She had a path. She was not going to fail at it. Her, her, 
her why was clear, and she had to get there. So uh, Tamsin talks about that um, with the red thread and, and finding your pathway. So um, do you want to tell us about Tamsin? Yeah, I mean, I mean, a wonderful speaker, and she's a message strategist. Yeah. And, I, and if you have a if you have a idea, she will be the one. Tamsin will be the one that will get you clear and concise and make that idea into your vision. Yeah. And, and get you there. Yeah. So we're excited um, to have Tamsin. So please enjoy our wide-ranging, um, informative, and I think entertaining conversation with the wonderful and talented and wise Tamsin Webster. All right, so uh, welcome. Uh, we are so excited. Oh my gosh, we are so pumped up uh, this morning. We have our friend Tamsin Webster. Tamsin, where are you in the world right now? I am in uh, blustery Boston today. Oh, so Boston. It is uh, unusually warm today, so it's uh, 59 Fahrenheit. I can't do the Celsius transition That's okay. quickly. Uh, but like two days ago, it was like four. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's very strange. Yeah, we had the same thing. It was freezing two days ago, and now yesterday it was pouring with rain. It was it's just crazy, the weather. Uh, are you from Boston originally? I'm not, but I like to say that I've lived here long enough to have a Bostonian alter ego named Karen O'Sullivan, and she's, she's very tough. Well, I was, I was, I was wondering because you don't have that that Boston New England accent. Oh, I can, I can. Yeah, no, I grew up in. I, I was a Navy kid, and mm. I grew up in Southern Virginia, uh, Virginia Beach. In fact, wow. I know such a beach girl. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I lived. I've lived in Boston for about 27 years now, so wow. I can do a passable version of the accent. Um, usually, if I'm talking about hot dogs or the Red Sox or Tom Brady, and um, oh, you know. do you hear that? Hot dogs at the Red yeah. Sox, Tom Brady. <laughs> I, I can't do it. I can't do it. You must. It's a big. It, uh, if you're, I don't know when you're listening to this on our podcast listeners, um, but we ha there's a big weekend coming up for if you're a New England fan. It's almost like it's every true. year for you, though. That's the thing, right? It's an annual <laughs> like, event. It's an annual event. Like, it, you know, it's and it's and it's funny because when I first moved to Boston, this was not the case at all. So when I first moved to Boston, it was 1990s. Like we were, we had kind of passed the glory days of the Celtics. The Patriots were not remotely what they are now. We were deep in the depths of uh, the curse for the Red Sox, <laughs> and so it's crazy the way that it's turned around. And then for my kids to just think that all our teams yeah. like win all the all championships win. all well, the time. I'm like, this is no, this yeah, is was not, a, this is not the, these are not the Boston sports teams I know, but it's, I gotta say it's fun. Yeah, this is the, the parade. This is, when we do win one of those championships, the parade goes right in front of our building here in downtown Boston. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And this is not a sports broadcast, but there was a, a moment there uh, <laughs> where we, where it was, you had like the, the Red Sox were on fire, Patriots were on fire, the Bruins were on fire. Like it was just Boston was the hub of, of championship teams. Yeah. yeah, I think there was one year kind of it split like between the end of one season, and the beginning of the other, where all four teams won a championship. Like it, yeah, it Celtics, was pretty bananas. Crazy. I think that it must have been 2013, right around there. Nice. So um, let's. That's the end of our sports podcast yeah. for today. <laughs> um, and let's uh, let's talk about you. Let's talk about so Tamsin. Tell us kind of like you know how you ended up. Your your organization is called the Red Thread. Yep. What you do. Tell us how you got to where you are. A bit of background on you. Just tell us openly. Tell us your background. Whatever you want. To, how you want to share that? Oh my goodness! So many places to start. Well, when I was little, when I wanted to be a museum director when I grew up because I mean, who doesn't? Of course. <laughs> um, 
But actually that desire has set me on a really interesting path from, from primarily from an education standpoint to start. So I love the arts. I, I love visual arts. I mean, I'm crap at visual art, but it turns out I'm not so bad when it comes to um, other forms of the arts. But I just love the arts. I knew I didn't have, frankly, the hustle to be an artist myself. Uh, so I really wanted to make life easier for other people uh, and other artists in that point to do what they love to do. So. Um, since, as I mentioned, this was the early 90s, that's why I came to Boston, I came to school here. Uh, this was not a good time, that was not a good time to try to get a job. And so when I when I started school, I, I was like, employability was like my main thing. Um, and art museum director was still there, but I was like, uh, if that doesn't work out, like I need to be employed. So um, as an undergrad here in, in the States, I decided to get two degrees at the same time. So I got a, a business degree, which with a focus on marketing and market research, um, which will come back later in my life. And then the other degree that I got uh, was in what's called American Studies, which is this kind of cross um, disciplinary look at, uh, as an approach to how to study a, a place at a time. and. Uh, and I got a minor in art history, you know, museum director. Um, and then because it wasn't a good time to get employed, I actually went straight into business school from there. And I found a program in Dallas, Texas. Um, there are so many stories about Dallas, but so I, I, because there was a program that was great, it really continued what I had done as an undergrad. And I was able to get an MBA with a, with a focus in organizational behavior, um, and a master's in arts administration. Aha. <laughs> Um, but things took a turn when, because I needed money, I took a job as a research associate at a management consulting firm down in Dallas uh, that specialized in uh, organizational change and mergers and acquisitions, really a change management consulting firm. And um, consulting firms pay a lot of money and mm -hmm. museums do not. <laughs> and so uh, when I was doing that kind of part time after I graduated, they said, would you want to come on full time? And I said, yes, because money um and and in certain ways that was one of the best and worst decisions i ever made really best because it introduced me to change management and i think i've been a change management consultant in one way or another for my entire life since um and worst because oh uh you know outspoken fairly liberal um arts oriented uh, brunette in Dallas, and I'm making horrible generalizations here, was not a good fit uh, culturally. Right. <laughs> Being in Dallas, not good. So I actually decided to take a 50% pay cut, move back to Boston, and go, and say, I'm gonna go back and work for a museum. And so thus began kind of an interesting uh, journey through marketing and uh, fundraising communications at uh, an exhibition planning at a museum up here in the Boston area called the Peabody Essex Museum. Um, did that for a couple years. Uh, that went from there to become the head of marketing communications um, at a local performing arts college. Because again, the arts, and I wanted to kind of stay with that for a bit. Um, and then I went from there in what probably feels like a weird turn to people, but I swear I have an explanation, uh, to do fundraising communications at Harvard Medical School. Uh, which I did for three years. So my job there was to figure out how to convince people to give money to one of the wealthiest institutions on earth. Right. Um, so that was fun. Yeah. It actually really was a lot of fun. Um, and then... Was it challenging? Was that something that was super uh, challenging? You know, it was. Um, and, and it wasn't at the same time. I mean, it was because 
it would it's challenging if you try to convince people that that Harvard needs money because Harvard does not need money. I mean, that's like patently obvious to anybody. I mean, but from a GDP standpoint, it would be the 18th largest com- like country in the world. Um, I need to figure out like I think it probably puts it like slightly below Bulgaria. I don't know. Um, but what if what it was actually a really important switch for me in understanding the power of uh, not only messaging but understanding where your audience is coming from because i mean i walked in and i was like dude nobody's gonna buy this like harvard needs money thing but what would people be interested in how can we talk about the work that's happening at the medical school in a way that would be interesting and engaging to people and and still be consistent with their belief that harvard doesn't need money so um that was that process was really fun and it started in a lot of ways the the process that i still do now because what i went and did was first interviewed about a quarter of the researchers at harvard medical school just to get a sense of why do they do the work that they do uh i was talking to donors and the fundraisers and what i found was that what was what what tied people together was less about the amount of money that they give gave and more what tied people together was what they were what they were hoping to accomplish through the gift and so what we started what i started to do was we started to rotate all the messaging from the fundraising office around what would be accomplished by the gifts so for instance some people really gave money because they really wanted to to solve a specific disease. Um, They want to find a cure for cancer, find a cure for Alzheimer's or autism or whatever. And there's other people who really are just, were fascinated by why we haven't solved some of these basic fundamental questions of, of health and disease in the first place. And then there were people who were interested in the fact that it was an educational institution. They want to train the better, best doctors. So what we found was by thematically grouping how we approached potential donors, the the results were dramatically improved because it wasn't us trying to push a message over to them. It was finding a way to kind of find, find a message that met them in the middle from what were they trying to do. And what we did was match that up with, okay, so you know, you're interested in, in uh, deafness and hereditary causes of deafness. Well, we need to fund a confocal microscope. And so it was about finding the story that, that, that bridged from what they were interested in to the thing that we needed. Um, and that, like I said, that started the path to everything. So it was, it was yes and no, both like hard and not. Um, cause once we, once, once I unlocked the, well, let's stop the, stop saying we need it. Um, that's going to be much more effective. Yeah. So speaking into, right. no, I was say, so from then from, from the Harvard you got yeah. into next. Oh, right. Cause that I'm right. I'm still obviously still not at Harvard. So, um, so then I decided at that point that I, I had, I, at that point, I had spent, ooh, let me quick math, um, probably about 10, 12 years in organizations, being the head of marketing, being the person in charge of the brand and the messaging and figuring all that out. Uh, and I wanted a broader understanding. And so my first stop after that was to work for a brand strategy agency. So um, it was a firm here in Boston, specialized particularly in arts, cultural institutions, wasn't exclusive to that. Um, but I was one of their brand strategists. And then also, because this was now the late 2000s, uh, I was the person that, that 
understood social and digital marketing. And so I was helping, uh, helping our clients start to figure out how to incorporate social and digital uh, marketing into their overall brand messaging and brand positioning. And so that's where I realized that there's this big gap between even companies and not just our firm, you know, the companies on the other side would pay like extraordinary amounts of money to get this great brand position statement. And then yet here was this rise of this form of marketing in the form of social, digital and content marketing that required an ability to translate and manipulate and shape and use that brand position every day. Mm. And all of a sudden we realized like a tagline, you can't re just repeat a tagline in your content every day. Like it doesn't work that way. So I started to realize there was this gap in the middle. And so um, I had an opportunity to then work for an advertising agency to build out their content and digital marketing plans uh, for their clients. So I built the whole, I built their team for content, social, digital marketing and really started to explore this. What is it that's necessary in order to bridge that gap between the needs for everyday content and conversation and your high level brand position. And for me, that was you know, kind of back to what I discovered at Harvard Medical School, this was really about the core, core message. How do you find a message that's strong enough that allows for not both consistency with the brand and flexibility, atomization, uh, expansion, exploration on a content side? Um, and then uh, the, the kind of brief stop between that and what I do now was working for a company that was primarily a sales message training company. I mean, so it was a boutique message development, but mostly on sales messaging because I'd spent so much time in marketing. I want to understand it from the sales perspective. Um, and that really helped me hone down to messaging is the thing that I love to do. Um, and it helped me clarify exactly what it is that I wanted to do. Um, and so I started, I started Find the Red Thread two and a half years ago now uh, to do that. And because and, I haven't even talked about the stuff I've done on the side, um, to build on uh, helping in a lot of ways, not just you know, uh, you know, founders and entrepreneurs and companies figure out what that message is, uh, but also how to speak about it. Because uh, five years ago now, I became the executive producer of TEDx Cambridge, which is the oldest locally organized TED talk event in the world. Wow. Uh, and so I started helping people build TED talks, or TED style talks, I should say. Um, and all of that came together to what I do now. And so here I am. So it's really all about clarity. It is, and and my honestly, my career, you know, on paper, it looks like it took all these twists and turns. But for me, I look at it and it was it was a constant honing down to the thing that I loved most and the thing that I did best. and. Uh, and that was figuring out the core message in the first place because, you know, all those years that I was in institutions and these were nonprofits, so they didn't have any money. And, and even, even Harvard at Harvard, I had a smaller budget at Harvard than I'd had at my previous two institutions. So, I mean, I had to be scrappy, um, about figuring out how to make, how to make these very short dollars work. Uh, and I just found over and over again that if we could find, if you could find the message and we could figure out a way to tell the story and tell stories around that message really powerfully, then, then we were, it just made, it meant, made everything much more effective, much more efficient. Um, and we spent a lot less money doing all of it. So yeah, it's just, it's been fun just getting to that point. I'm curious, how did you come up with the concept of the red thread? 
So I got, you know, I discovered the, the underlying concept from a client. So, uh, one of my clients while I was, uh, still at that sales messaging firm was Ericsson in Sweden. Uh, so we were having a conversation with that client one day and then one of the clients mentioned something just along the lines of, you know, say, well, help me understand the red thread of what we're talking about here. And contextually, I could understand that it was about what's the theme, what's the thing that makes the main, you know, main, what's the main message here. Um, and I didn't think much more about it because I just was like, oh, I think it's, it must be an Ericsson thing. Um, until, uh, you know, a year or two later, I was out on my own and I had a client um, here at State, you know, State Street Bank here in Boston. Um, she happened to be Swedish and met and, and then said the same thing. She's like, well, I just really want to understand the red thread that's going on here. And I'm like, well, okay, I have to stop you here. Cause what, what is that? I mean, I understand what you mean, but like, where did that come from? Because what you're talking about is what I do. And I've never had a good name for it. Um, she's like, well, I don't know. It's just this idiom that we use in Sweden. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> um, so, uh, and apparently, as I've learned later, it's a, a fair number, particularly of Northern European countries use it. So I, I've heard Germans use the phrase in the same way, and then the uh, Norwegians and the Finns, apparently. Um, but I wanted to figure out why, why was it, that, what is the red thread? So as it turns out, there's like red threads in just about every major philosophy, religion, there is, there's, there's red threads in the Bible. There's a red thread in Eastern philosophy that's connecting you and the people you're meant to be with or your soulmate or things like that. Um, but this one, most people think is from, uh, ancient Greek mythology. And in ancient Greek mythology, there's a story of, uh, the Minotaur and the labyrinth, uh, which a lot of people may be familiar with a story about how Theseus had to figure out how to kill a minotaur that lived in a pitch black maze. Um, and so obviously you needed something to actually kill the minotaur, but even though most people focused on killing the minotaur, a lot of times people didn't remember that there was like a secondary issue that was the case, which is that the minotaur lived in a maze and that maze was so complicated that it, even the minotaur couldn't escape. So that meant that the maze was just as important as the monster. So. Theseus had to bring a tool for each task. So he brought a sword and then he brought uh, with him by myth and legend, a red thread. Um, and I need to point out that it wasn't actually his idea to bring the red thread. It was a woman's idea. Of course it was. Um, so he brought the red thread to unwind through the path, almost like breadcrumbs in Hansel and Gretel to trace the path he took into the Minotaur so he could retrace uh, on its way on his way out. And so, you know, the red thread then from that idea is this thing that runs through something. It's the thing that helps you find your way. Um, and when I looked at what I was doing, cause I'd come up with this process of finding a message, a core message, a core flexible message. Uh, and I had this story and then all of a sudden I realized over dinner with some great friends one night that, uh, that these were the same things because my process was really a process of understanding the steps that got you to, your 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 idea, whether that's your the reason you know reason why you founded your company in the first place or developed a product in the first place, so that you could retrace those steps for other people and explain that idea to them, whether that's in day to day content or in a TED style talk or in uh, or in your marketing and advertising materials. So uh, that's how it came came about. 
What, what's the best way for someone, you know, when they're working, when you, you find, when they're working with you, for them to find their red thread? Like, you know, what's, what do you feel like there's what's the like, process? The, yeah, the process or the, the, the or as you say, process. The process, yeah. To finding <laughs> your red thread, like, do you find, like, with the amount of people that you've worked with and companies that you've worked with, you know, some tangible things, they walk away, be like, okay, here's, here's how I find my red thread. Yeah. I, at, at its highest level, really, the process is recreating the, the journey of discovery of the idea that you had. It's essentially recreating the conditions that created the idea for you in the first place. See, a lot of times we come to, you know, we come with a, up with an idea for a new product, and once we have the idea for the new product, we're like, ah, I've got this product, it solves this problem that everybody has, and I found a new way to do it. And we kind of forget, like, the steps that we took to get there. But in order for somebody else to understand that idea and why that product or that why that idea is, is as powerful as you think it is, they, they have to go through those same steps. And it's because of how our brains work. It's because our brains quite literally need certain pieces of information in certain order uh, in order to really understand something and, and accept it. And so the process that we walk through, or I walk through with people to help find their red threads is, is recreating those steps. Um, and it's, you know, it's fairly straightforward. I'm not gonna say it's easy because in a lot of ways, these red threads are like uh, a company's operating system, like a, in a computer, right? And a, and a computer can't see its own code. And, and that's very much the case with us and our ideas and our messages and these red threads that run through all the things that we do that unless we open up a control window to see what's going on we can't uh, and so this process really does that uh, and you're probably thinking well what is the process um, and it's really as I said fairly straightforward the first thing is to understand what was the question that you were asking in the first place and so if I'm working with someone to help figure out how to craft this for an external audience we start with what is the question that your audience, what clients, customers, whatever, what is the question that they're already asking that you can help solve? So if they're already asking a question like, um, if they're, I'm gonna use an example from one of my clients um, who's given me permission to use this. So she's, she works uh, with companies on how to retain their millennial employees more effectively. So the question that her audience is already asking is something along the lines of like, what are like, what even makes these crazy millennial people uh, loyal these days? Um, you know, what are the new levers of loyalty? So that's kind of the question that they're asking. And the next thing is to say, okay, well, if that's the thing that, and I call that the goal. So what's that question your audience is already asking? The second thing is to figure out uh, something I call the problem of perspective. What is it that people are focused on in pursuit of the answer to that question that's actually blinding them to where the answer that you found lies? So I think it, I mean, I like to think about it from the concept of, um, well, you've, you, I'm assuming you both have seen magic tricks. Yes. Yes. Indeed. Yes. And you know then that one of the primary tools of a magician is misdirection, right? This idea of focusing the audience's attention a certain place. Sure. Now, a magician does it so that where, you know, so that you're looking over here while, <laughs> you know, well, at least for a bad magician, that the actual um, work of it's happening over here. Right. And that's essentially what's happening with your audience or with kind of the market when they don't see. 
where this new opportunity lies because their attention is so focused over here that they've missed this, that there's this other thing going on. So I'm working, I am trying to always trying to work with folks to figure out what that two part problem of perspective is that part one, which is what is everybody else doing and what is everybody else focused on or what's common to focus on? And then what do you see? So back to Tracy's, my client's example. So if people are asking where the new leaders of loyalty, the conventional wisdom, the, the way that people are focused on is like, what can we attach to the positions, you know, junior level research associate, you know, manager, principal, et cetera. What can we attach to the positions uh, to make it make them more attractive to people? And to Tracy's point of view, it's like, yes, the positions are important. That's over here. But the real magic actually happens with the people that are in those positions. Like so. Positions people, this was kind of the two-part problem of perspective. Then the third step is to say, okay, well, why are the people important? We need to give people a because to this problem of perspective. So there's a goal, there's a problem, and I call this answer to the because, the truth. And in Tracy's case, it was, well, because people are what make the positions work. So that's why we need to give equal value to the people as we do the positions. So the third thing we're trying to find with people is what is this axiom, provable fact, belief that the audience will readily, your clients or customers will readily agree with that makes that new perspective impossible to ignore. Right. So you really, I mean, you see that like this idea that people are what make positions work is not like a radical concept, but it is one that makes you go, oh, right. So I can't ignore what the individual person wants in a particular, if I'm trying to figure out how do I retain them. And so this leads to the fourth piece of the red thread, which is really the core of an idea anyway, which is what is the big shift in thinking or behavior that you're asking people to make or that your product, service, or company represents. And so for, um, for Tracy, that shift was to say, all right, so if, if you really want to understand the new levers of loyalty and retain these millennial employees, what you need to do is personalize the incentives based on the person in the position. So in other words, take the position and the person, look at both of them, and then customize, personalize those loyalties. And then she has a program for helping people figure out what those are and how to do it, et cetera. So those that's the process is really saying what's the goal of your audience client or customer that's the question they're already asking second what's the problem of perspective that's getting in their way you know what do they see what do you see and then third what's the truth that makes that piece that you see impossible to ignore and so once you have all those three things that adds up to the change that you represent in the marketplace and then what I call the actions, the thing that make that possible. So the red thread has those five pieces. That's the process of figuring it through. And those are the five things that somebody's brain has to hear in order for a message to make sense. So listening to that whole amazing. <laughs> That's a lot of things. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's, it's interesting. And I think, I think of um, like as a young entrepreneur out there or someone starting a business or a service or whatever they're doing, that process would be something that would be incredibly invaluable at the beginning. Yes. Um, and I, I and I'm wondering, are you finding people uh, trying to do it after the fact? Like, they're, is it like, is it something you is it is it? There's obviously value afterwards, but is it? It's probably more valuable at the very beginning when you're starting out your journey. I I think so. I think it saves a lot of time. So sure. um, 
you remember I said that these red threads are like uh, our operating systems, but we have little tells about them um, for ourselves. And one of the tells of like your own personal red thread, or even for companies, red thread is to pay attention to the to the mantras, the quotes, or the proverbs that that you really believe in or that you live your life by. And I mentioned that because one of the one of mine is that a stitch in time saves nine. So I'm always really really interested in. You know, I, it probably was beaten into me from spending so many years in nonprofits of just like what is the what is the lowest effort, lowest cost, highest impact thing that I can do um, to save myself time, money, and so and and now these days, how can I do it to save other people? So in the beginning, oh my gosh, yes, uh, because it can it can in so many ways help clarify who you're actually for. Um, because your brand is not for everybody. It just isn't. Um, and the sooner you realize that, particularly as an entrepreneur, the sooner you can really focus in on the people that you are for and deliver them really effective stuff. It can also shorten up you know, time spent spinning your wheels on whether or not you know an ad campaign makes sense or whether or not this line of content makes sense or even just how do we talk about ourselves effectively? Um, because... And again, this is not necessarily, it's, it's not anybody's fault, but the way that our, you know, we, we get, we, we know our ideas so well and are, and we're so passionate about why we believe in this business that we've started or this product that we've developed, um, that we forget that people don't know everything we know. True. And so naturally we start with what excites us about the product and what excites us about the product because we've now become an expert on it is what it can do for other people. What the, and you know, so what does, what does that mean? It means we end up spending a lot of time talking about features and benefits when, I mean, this is why we end up talking about features and benefits when, when someone's first being introduced to your idea or product or company, they need to understand actually the, they need to they need to kind of understand and agree the worldview that got you there before they go oh i see mm. i see why that's even necessary to me why it represents something different why that something different is important now i'm ready to talk to you about how it works and what additional benefits might come to me as a result of that so early on it can it can save a lot of time and pain but even no matter when you do it, it's it's going to focus and, and clarify uh, who you're for, kind of the why behind your why, like why do you do the things that you do in the way that you do it, yeah. um, and also give you a much more powerful basis to explain that to other people, no matter what form that might take. What are some of the barriers that you often see when working with your clients to make the change? So the barriers, so, there are in a lot of ways some of the things that I've already mentioned. So, you know, the barrier is <laughs> and what I see probably most often is well I'll say, well what's you know, what's the what's the question the audience is asking? And and somebody will essentially say, Why don't I have this product yet? And I'm like, No, 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 no. They're not they're not asking that. Like, you know, they're not asking, you know, why I don't have a a, a content management uh, services firm that has a learning process. They're not. They're not asking that. That is mm -hmm. not what they're asking. Uh, what they're asking is, how can I get my content marketing to convert better? Now, you can. You then. It's your job to kind of connect that to what you do and what you are. Um, but they've got. You got to start with where they are. So that's probably the biggest thing is to is to 
is to consistently get people and kind of question them is like, is that your goal <laughs> or is that their goal? Um, and then once you really get people onto their, onto the audience goal, it really does become clearer that because they're like, oh, right, okay. Um, so I think maintaining that client, customer, audience perspective is definitely one of the hardest things. I'd say second to that is uh, releasing that desire to be all things to all people um, and, and in one message. So I think one of the things I hear most often when people come to me is they're like, well, we want the deck or the story or the pitch or the message or the positioning statement. And I'm, and I just, and I'm, there isn't, there isn't one, there isn't one because you're not one person and your company isn't one. I mean, it might be, so if it is great, but even if it is one person, you have more than one customer or at least you want to. And so what you need is a core story, which is really what the red thread is, um, that is scalable. So you need a scalable story and, and one that can shift depending on whom you're talking to, what they need, what stage of a sales process or a marketing process they may be. But when you understand at the core, your worldview, what that red thread is, then that becomes much, much simpler to do. So I think it's really those two things. First, adopting, kind of consistently adopting your client, customer, audience perspective. And then second, understanding that that audience, those clients and customers, is not everybody. Yeah. And that therefore, what that adds up to is kind of the third thing is that you're never going to have just one. You're going to have the components that are going to dress themselves in in different skins, like in Minecraft. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there is there one mistake you see often done by young companies, young entrepreneurs? Is there is there one consistent thing you see that they're doing wrong? I think the thing that's yes, and the thing that I would say that is, is there's almost always something really really important missing from that message. Um, so, I. And whether this is an investor deck they're putting together or it's their initial marketing communications, those kinds of things, um, you know, the, the the most common mistake, but it's not one I see as much anymore, is just just to lead with the solution. Like, here's the product, here's the benefits, and you know, here all here's all that good stuff. I mean, at this point, there's so much information out there for entrepreneurs about the fact that you have to present a problem and a solution that most of the time they're they're doing that. <clears throat> And so I think a lot of people feel like if I'm at least showing a problem, then that this is the solution that I've, that I've done enough. But what I've found is missing from that message is the connective tissue between the problem and the solution. Right. And um, you know, in the parlance of the red thread, that's that truth statement. Um, but it, it, the best way to illustrate it is, is to think about it this way. So I want you to imagine that you, um, that you're going to a, a doctor for the first time to get a like a physical checkup. Now you've had physical checkups before. This is a new doctor, whatever. So they haven't examined you before. They don't have any. They don't know anything about you. And you're sitting there and you're waiting for them to come in. And then all of a sudden, the door opens. In walks this new doctor. And the first thing out of their mouth is, "So when do you want to schedule the surgery?" You know, most people would have some questions, right? Yeah, yeah. But like walking in and just saying, when do you want to schedule the surgery is the equivalent of leading just with the solution. So, so hey, when do you want to buy my product? And most people are like, dude, no. Um, 
so it doesn't, and you see, like, it doesn't matter if I like show you patient testimonials, like if I show you like lots of pretty pictures of completed surgeries, like none of that matters if you don't understand why for you, that's you not have, you have the no right emotion, you thing, have no right? You have no so emotional what, buy-in. Yeah, exactly. So people are like, okay, well, the question that's in everybody's mind is like, well, why do I need the surgery? Yeah. And so this is where the desire to put a problem in comes, right? So if I say, ah, all right, I'm going to solve for this. I'm going to say, Stu, I'm going to use you. I'm going to say, Stu, you have a spot on your back. When would you like to schedule surgery? You still have questions, right? There's something yes. else you need to know about that problem that you didn't previously see that has to make it impossible for you to ignore. So for instance, if I say to you, Stu, there's a spot in your back, it's lint, right? <laughs> so when do you want to schedule the surgery? Like that doesn't make any sense because it's not putting anything that you value necessarily in jeopardy, or if it is, surgery is probably overkill. So if we assume, for instance, that your goal, the thing that you're looking for is like, how can I stay healthy? then I have to tell you something about that spot that allows you to at least consider why you would do something about it. So if I said, you know, based on my experience, I can see this spot from here, I don't actually need to get any closer to it, but it has some concerning characteristics I'd really love to explore further, then you're gonna be asking me what are the options sure. of which surgery may be one, right? So that's the thing that's often missing from the message is that that piece, that connective tissue between a problem and the solution, the reason why the problem is such a problem. And where most people go wrong with that is that they try to get people to either want something that they don't want, right? So, hey, here's my new thing, you want it, which is hard to do. Or B, they try to get people to believe something they don't yet believe. Like, this is gonna do everything for you. This is gonna solve all these problems. Like, no, you, you, you A, need to anchor it in something that they already want because people don't readily unwant a thing that they want, right? Like, right. I like want cake all the time and love cake, uh, but like if I suddenly, if you try to say to me, like, don't want cake, like that's, that's not gonna work for me. <laughs> Same thing, if you have a deeply held belief um, you know, maybe it's in the golden rule, for instance, you're not going to suddenly go, well, the heck with the golden rule. I'm all for Machiavelli, whatever. Um, <laughs> that doesn't happen either. So it's what I find is useful when you're trying to figure out what is that connective tissue between the problem and the solution is to use something that people would already either already believe or that is provable to them. And that way you get this Ah, okay, now I understand why that problem is such a problem, and if it's chosen well, that same truth should also explain why the thing you want them to do is really the only thing that makes sense if they still want what they wanted in the first place. So great. This, I, this is such a valuable stuff. I've been taking notes and I just want to thank you so much for all this stuff. That's what, that's what I want. And I know You're welcome. We're, we're, <laughs> probably, we're probably just scraping the surface yeah, touching the, yeah exactly on, on the on the process and the understanding of it and um you know we're we're excited that you're actually going to spend more time with us in april i'm looking forward to that that's going to be fun so if you don't know what i'm talking about we're talking about epic which is um, a community of amazing human beings um both those who are in the audience and those who are presenting to the audience is a really great community of really good people um and you're going to be there and i'm kind of just could you kind of share 
is are you going to take them on this journey? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And it, it's the it's the journey of kind of really understanding viscerally why this is the case. So um, yeah, it's a journey of understanding why is it that this is how we come up with ideas in the first place and therefore if we're trying to get somebody else to accept our idea and, and, and remembering that an idea can be in the form of a product or a service or a person really um, that they actually have to kind of come up with the idea themselves um, it has to feel like that they yeah. we need to recreate the conditions for them that created the idea for us in the first place and once we've done that then it ends up it ends up making that idea feel theirs, and that's really important. So there's, um, uh, I think it comes from the book, uh, Chris Boss, that like negotiated work, but uh, one of our colleagues, my colleagues in the space, Michael Port, often will talk about how the role of a speaker is to kind of shift their mind, shift their own mindset from wanting an audience to say, you're right, to getting an audience to go, that's right. Because that's a very similar concept, right? Of getting an audience to say, yes, I agree with that. And what I've found is that the best founders, entrepreneurs, uh, whether they're in a speaking mode or not, are the folks that are able to not only go from your right to that's right, but are able to someone, you know, for their clients, customers, prospects, et cetera, able to get them to go, that's right for me, and convince themselves that that's right for them, that you're right for them, that your product is right for them. Um, because those, you know, the conclusions that we come to ourselves are the conclusions that we hold to most yeah. strongly. And that's really what the, that's really what the, the whole process is and what we'll be talking about in April. Yeah. And that, that, that has more value to the, to the person if they buy it. It's the, it's the whole, I mean, we talk often about, uh, you know, Simon Sinek made it so, um, you know, out there was starting with why is what is the why? But and I was having breakfast yesterday with a friend of mine, who uh, was uh, the CEO of the Invictus Games, um, mm. and we were having breakfast yesterday, and he was saying, you know, so many people say you can do anything or like da 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 da, but like they don't tell you how to get to that point. So it's like right. starting with why is great, but how do you communicate that? Like it's great yes. to think about that. How do you get to that? I think that's what you're gonna. Yeah, I yeah, I am a I am I am a I am a junkie for the execution gap. Like yeah. that's I mean a lot of you know a lot of where the red thread as it applies to talks and speeches and uh, presentations come in uh, came from that because I you know that's you know, in the early days of TEDx I you know I did I read all the books so, you know Carmine Gallo's great book and I read Chris Anderson's book and they all talked about like you know they all kind of started as if you already had the big idea and 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 I think a lot of times people know they have one but they don't actually know it well enough to be able to explain it to somebody else to and Chris that. Anderson would talk about like well you need a through line for your talk but then wouldn't tell people <laughs> didn't tell people how to get there yeah. and so I was like ah well I think I think I know how to get people there because I've seen this work. And now, you know, five years later, hundreds of clients later, um, you know, both individuals and companies, like, yeah, I've just seen it work over and over and over again that it's to be able to figure out, like, give people a process that's repeatable and then they can do this on their own. And to me, that's what makes, um, you know, a red thread the most powerful. But honestly, that's what makes a story mm -hmm. truly scalable yeah. is the fact that you can then figure out your own variations 
for yourself. I mean, I just, that's, that's what I want people to be able to do is to be able to, so that I'm not required. Um, I don't, I, I shouldn't be required. I, I'm here to give the process in the first place and then they can, once, once they've learned it, it's something that people use over and over again. And I hear that back from my clients all the time. That's so great. Yeah. So, well, I guess, you know, we don't want to take all of your time. Um, but um, any kind of final thoughts? Where can people reach you? How do they get a hold of you? Uh, they can find me at TamsinWebster.com. I know you'll have that all, all there, but it's, uh, I can spell it out, but it's, I'm the only one in the world, which is, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't want to be a Tamsin, but now that I'm the only Tamsin Webster in the world, it comes in really handy. Yes, so everything about me is at TamsinWebster.com. Cool. Um, wh one more question for you is what, what's inspiring you these days? What's, what's getting you up in the morning? Anything that's driving you? Like what's, what's your, what's your, what's your thing right now? Like what's inspiring yeah, you? Yeah. I mean, well, you've, you've heard, you actually heard me testing and exploring some of that now. And this idea of the scalable story is, is actually something that I've uh, been thinking about a lot lately. Cause there's so much stuff out there about storytelling and how important stories are and all of that. But what I see people running into, and certainly something I saw in all the years of, you know, working in and for organizations, um, people are getting stuck on the single story. Mm. Um, and uh, that a lot of the stuff that's out there isn't necessarily scalable because what will happen is, great, we've come up for you know the story of our brand, but then it's not comfortable in everybody's mouths. You know? So I've done a lot of work, actually a, <laughs> an unexpectedly large amount of work with like scientists, academics, researchers, engineers, and they are fundamentally uncomfortable with telling the story. So they may understand rationally why telling the story is really important, but they don't like telling anything that really feels to them. Like once upon a time, there was a curious yeah, yeah. scientist, right? Um, and so this idea of what's necessary to make information feel like a story, even if it isn't one, so that you get all the benefits of uh, story structure that, that happens with how the brain works, that's how we make sense of information, and also allows for people to be able to shape that information so it's most comfortable for them. So really how to bridge that gap between brand consistency and uh, kind of customizability based on who's sharing a message or sharing mm -hmm. a story and who are they sharing it with yeah well i'm excited for people to hang out with you and one of the things we're doing at epic is people get to hear your conversation or your story and they get to ask you questions about it and they get yes. to like interact with you and kind of which i think is so important i think it's when speakers speak i've been speaking for 30 mm -hmm. years um but when speakers speak it's great to speak from the stage but to have a chance to interact with and ask questions of that speaker, that presenter, that facilitator, and say like, okay, I get that, but what about A, B, and C? And for you there to be there to to work that out, work that through is wonderful. Yeah. So I love that part. That's my favorite. So yeah, I was a I was a Weight Watchers leader for 13 years, in addition to all the stuff that I talked to you about. So yeah, your journeys. Um, like Q and A is my favorite. I know I skipped that entirely. But yeah, and then you go. got the You'll whole thing. You'll hear more about that in April. Well, you got that whole thing too with your marathons. <laughs> That's right. Yes, which was. Kind of a culmination of of my uh, of my of of my you know, thirteen years as a Weight Watcher leader. But yeah, yes. so we're not going to even start that. Con that's <laughs> I know that that's a whole other. But I, I do know if you come in April. In April, I promise. Tell Tam tell you what the Boston Marathon, right? Yes, yes, I I, I ran it and was and uh, and was stopped in 2013 because of the bombing. Um, Halfway up Park Bright Hill because of the bombing, and then so I reran it in 2014. Yeah, so that's like a whole nother, like that's just, a whole I just feel, thing. <laughs> I feel like that was a Costco sample size. Yeah, exactly. 
that wasn't enough. But anyway, um, Tamsin, from the bottom of my heart, and on behalf of Nick and I, thank you so much for spending time oh, with my us. Pleasure. And uh, any, any final thoughts, Nick? No, I just I appreciate the uh, the insight. I, I took a whole page of notes because I was just he listening does. so intently. I love this stuff. So. I always feel bad because Nick takes tons of notes, and I just am so absorbed in this. I don't take any notes. I'm just so absorbed in listening. And Nick's <laughs> taking notes, and then he'll point out five things that I didn't even realize happened. So thanks for the lesson. It's a, I, I, I just have so much work to do now. I appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, it's super fun. So it's, uh, I, I love this. I mean, I love, like I said, it, it all comes back to I think what I said right at the beginning is like, I started my whole idea of my career wanting to make it easier for people to do the things that they love. Um, and I feel like it's come full circle. And so that's, that's, that's why I do what I do because you know, words are the currency of ideas and we've got to find a real way to be able to communicate those ideas so we can let them have the power that we hope that they have and yeah what better way to spend every day than, than helping people with that Do, doing what you love um, thank you my pleasure and uh, we'll see you in April I don't know about you, Nick, but I think that was like, and I, I always say, we always say this, but it's like, that was worth the whole, like listening to our podcast for it. That was like so great. Well, I, I, we even said, I think we even said it in the, in the, uh, in their interview that we could do like two or three different podcasts with Tamsin. She's so knowledgeable and so yeah, well, on point. After the, we finished recording, you asked her another question yeah. or you told her a story and she brought all the stuff about getting investment money, yeah. like how to talk to your investors. And I thought that's an entire another whole podcast and I know that with her coming to Epic we got some great entrepreneurs um, who are always trying to figure out how to to leverage you know that investment type and that's that alone is worth it yeah so um, for me uh, Tamsin and I, I think for me one of the things I loved about the conversation was how she talked a lot about um, just because it's important to you and you understand the value doesn't mean that your client or your audience understands that too. So you have to get them to understand why you think whatever you do is great right. and, and, and not just say it. It's great. Why? why? Like you have to make them believe in the same level you believe. Mm -hmm. So I think that was interesting. Like that story, as you said, what were you saying the story? Yeah, I was a scalable story. Scalable I, story. You know, and that, that's speaking to, you know, leverage and, 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 uh, and people, you know, investing in your business or, or working with your company, why mm -hmm. do they want to work with you? And I thought yeah. this, finding that scalable story is something, I know she's doing a lot of work with that, so it's been... Yeah, and I love the idea of the red thread, like that, if you listen to the story about, you know, Theseus and that whole idea of, the, you, know, you know where you got to get to, but how do you get to that point? Yeah. And, and that's a great story too, so. Um, yeah, it was Valuable great. stuff. Great, gosh, really great. Um, so thank you, Tamsin, for spending time with us today. Thank you, audience, for listening and watching us today. We really appreciate you. Um, and, uh, you know, until next time, please uh, don't forget to subscribe. Like. Uh, rate. Rate. Don't, yeah, rate. Yeah, rate. Rate, like, subscribe. Yeah, yeah and we're on, uh, we're on the YouTubes, uh, The Authentic Entrepreneurs. Uh, you just look it up that search. We're on Spotify and iTunes. And also we have a brand new Instagram channel. Yes. Check out the authentic account. entrepreneurs. Yeah. So until next time, keep being authentic. This is what I got to say.